All right, let's get back to business. So we are still learning <coughs> the general topic of Hilchas Avelus. Uh, we started with uh, Hilchas Biker Chol, and we started with visiting the sick and all the things that happened all the way through, uh, through passing. We did Kriya, uh, ripping of the clothing. And so tonight we begin what's known as Hilchas Aninus, being an Onain. An Onain is the uh, status that a Jew has when one of the seven relatives for whom we mourn and rip Kriya and Sechiva in between the time of death and the time of burial is a period known as an onen. It's a special halachic uh, status. Thank you very much. Special halachic status known as an onen. And uh, it comes along with many halachas. Uh, it has gotten uh, far more complicated, I would say, in modern times with the advent of technology in which people are now more involved in far distant relationships that did not used to exist. It used to be if you weren't anywhere near where the person died, you could not possibly have anything to do with anything. There was no way to communicate in a timely manner. Um, and you would sit sitting shiv immediately. And in today's day and age, uh, people speak at the Leviahs that are 3,000 miles away over Zoom and FaceTime, and they're involved in preparations and decision-making. And so that has impacted the status of uh, what an onane is. Um, so we're going to start from the top in uh, old-fashioned terms, and we'll apply it to modern te- uh, you know, our modern days uh, as, far as, uh, as far as how that goes. There should be, let me start with this. Okay, there are a couple levels of the discussion of being an onen. There is the Torah level being an onen, and then there is a rabbinic level of being an onen, which is also going to be, in, in, so just, on, just to read one line, uh, in source number one on the sheet that you have uh, that went around. Ka'amin um, what I was referring to, is like in the middle of the context, is yom misa da'oraisa, the day of death is a da'oraisa. It's a Torah concept of being an onen. What this means to say is as follows, as I just introduced a moment ago, this concept of being an onen is a Torah concept, that you have a special status in halacha of being an onen, of being in between time of passing and time of burial, and that status that you have, which is a Torah level status, only exists for the first day, the day of actual death, which means, again, in modern times, Outside of the land of Israel, where it actually does happen, is the norm, where a person dies and is buried within the same day that they die. That is not the norm here in the States, as you very well know. It's an, it, it does happen where a person, if they die early in the morning, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, sometimes you'll get a funeral done before the end of the, that coming day. Generally, that's not the way that things work here. It's usually the next day. Um, and therefore, on a Torah level, the day that a person passes away, the seven relatives become an onen on a Torah level, only until the end of the next, that night. Does, like, uh, start the day, meaning... Yeah, I would assume from tzais until tzais, meaning from nightfall is the beginning of the new day, and then that would be until, that's what I, that might be my working assumption, that would be, that is the status when you would be an onen on a, uh, on a Doraisa level. The, in, so in our modern times, let's say a person dies at, you know, four o'clock in the afternoon. So that funeral here in the United States where the unions, you know, close up the cemeteries by uh, three o'clock, person dies at four o'clock, they're not being buried that day. So you are, the, the relative would be an onen starting from four o'clock until nightfall. And then they become an onen on a rabbinic level till burial. So they're still an onen, let me just say, they're still an onen, but that the, there's a shift from being an onen on a Torah level until, which only is that first day. So that's what we're going First, you just need to set up the status, then we'll see where are there differences as far as rules. Right now, the general rules, all I would say, yes, the assumption would be all the rules would still apply, just that the Torah level is only on the actual day of death, 
And then so the... Like five o'clock in, a, in the winter, you're owning if it's buried the next day. You would be an owning then. Then you'd have a full 24 hours because uh, the, the, that's still the same day. That's the, still the same day of death. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. This will also impact starting. It'll have a number of different things. So let's start. But that's the now on a total level. The question is like, what difference does it make on a total level? What is the impact? Where do we find on a total level? I wouldn't, until it's not one of the areas where we find it explicitly in the pasuk, but we will see it. True, fill it in. On will be certain will be derived. But on a total level, there are actually three places where we see. Um, that this will be impacted. And they all have to do with eating, eating certain foods of sanctity. Those are the three places. Um, not even on the carbon Pesach. It will, it will apply. That's not where we find it. That's not the source. Um, so if you see the top of the sheet, the, the, this sheet that I, uh, that I gave you, on the very top of the English, an onain, we'll just read it together, an onain is the halachic name given to a person from the moment of one of his seven relatives whom he's obligated to mourn, passes away, like we've said. So the Gemara, which we're not going to see uh, inside, uh, we saw that one line, teaches that the aninus, this concept of being an onain, is biblically commanded, and it's only that one day, the day of death. What's the relevance? What, what happens on a total level that a person becomes an onain? So the biblical prohibition sir, forbids surviving family members from eating the following three foods. Meiser sheni. Meiser sheni is when you take a, the tithe, the sec, after you take meiser, you take off a tenth of your produce and you give it to uh, the levy, then you take off a second set of meiser and you need to bring it to Yerushalayim and you eat that food that you harvested in Yerushalayim. A person who is an onain is forbidden from eating Meiser Sheni. That person cannot go to Yerushalayim and eat of that food. Uh, Kodshim, which of course Korn Pesach would fit under, animals that are brought as a carbon, are all, uh, that, that meat is not permitted to be eaten from a person who is an onain, and Bikurim, the first fruits. Where do we see these different things? So the Gemara brings all different sources. So number one, where is the prohibition from eating Kodshim? So that comes from the tragic story of Aharon HaKohen. Aharon the Kohen Gadol, on the day that the Beis HaMikdash was in, the Mishkan, I should say, was inaugurated, two of his sons brought, Nadav and Avi, brought a forbidden korban, and they were consumed by a heavenly fire. They died on that day. And Moshe then instructs Aharon that he's permitted to eat from the korbanos that they brought. And the language that's used is, this is unique because of the special day of the inauguration of uh, the Mishkan, I want you to eat it. And then the sons respond to Moshe and they say, can't be, we're not allowed to eat it because we are an Onain. And from that whole conversation, what's derived is, for sure, whatever was going on then, this dispute between Aharon and Moshe about their status on that unique day, but on every other day, it was very clear that a Kohen who was an Onain, because of his state, is not permitted to eat of Karbanus, which would obviously include the Karban Pesach. And that has many, many topics. If you're learning uh, Dafyomi or Mesechus Pesachim, Many conversations, because obviously if you have an entire nation bringing a Gorm Besach, the numbers are simply going to tell you somebody is going to die. You know, between the time that the carbon was brought, which is in the afternoon, and when you eat it at the Leil Seder that night, enough years go by of an entire nation all doing the same thing, it's going to happen. What happens now? Does he eat the carbon Pesach? you know, uh, in that state. So the answer is, no, he's not allowed to eat the carbon pesach. That's a Torah halacha, that if the person had died and we were not able to bury them before Yantiv, so that now you go into Yantiv in the state of being an onen, you are not permitted to eat of that. Uh, but that's a whole sugya. We'll, we'll say that very briefly now. But in general, carbonos, you can't eat. Number two on your list, Meister Shani. 
Um, so for those who lay in the beginning of Parshas Kisavu, when you make a declaration, when you come to the base of English with your first fruits, and you say, I've done everything right in many different areas, including I took off my soul like I was supposed to, and I did not eat of it while I was an Onain. So the fact that you have to make a declaration that I didn't eat Meiser Shani when I was an Onain, so, uh, so clearly uh, that's something that you're not allowed to do. You're not allowed to eat Meiser Shani as an Onain. And then we make a connection in number three between Bikurim, the first fruits, is compared to Meiser Shani. We make a connection between the three, two. So those are the three halachas of an Onain. None of these uh, apply to us. Excellent. Okay, so that on the total level, when we say that being an Onain only lasts for one day, what is it relevant to? So on a total level, it's relevant to you can't eat kachim, you can't eat Meisr Shani, you can't eat Bikurim. Okay, none of that would really, God willing, that will apply to all of us in uh, one day soon. But uh, next year, next week, next tomorrow, today. So, but... um, but uh, what what but Lamaisa, we have an onen every time there's a funeral, there's an onen. What 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 are the relevant halachas that actually apply? Now that we know there's a concept of being an onen, how does this then relate to uh, modern day modern day times? Okay, that starts with the Mishnah in Maseches Brachos in source number three. It's a very short uh, line that we will read uh, together. Source number three on your uh, all Hebrew side. Um, the Gemara, there's a Mishnah Maseches Brachos says Misha Meso Mutal Lefanov. A person literally will translate this. A person Person who has someone, a meso means literally his dead, meaning one of his seven relatives, is mutol lefanov, is lying before him, meaning uh, you're an onen. It's from the time of death, and now the mace is mutol lefanov, the mace is lying before you, needs to be tended to, potter mikriyachma. That Jew, the relative, who now has the obligation of burying one of his seven relatives, is exempt from kriyachma. Uminatfila, he's exempt from davening. Uminatfilin, he's exempt from wearing tfilin. Umikol mitzvosa amuros patora. And from everything. So it's this right, classic states. I'll give you a couple of examples. But just to be clear that you don't misunderstand and think that I'm only giving you these examples, the Gemara says very, Glamisha says, no kriyash, kriyashma. You don't say kriyashma, this mitzvah. No, you know how to say kriyashma. Tfilin? I had literally had. I had a person come to me, we'll talk about this as it will be a great example, um, a relative of somebody who was recently sitting Shiva and said, I brought them their, their tefillin. Um, he was, I don't want to confuse the matter. This is, he was talking about the first day of Avelis, which is a different discussion. But um, I, I, it can't be that he doesn't wear tefillin. Like, it can't be that he does. There's certain halachas. So like an onain, he's potter from wearing now we're using this as an example because what if the person says, I really want to? Right now, let's, what's the language that the Mishnah says? Pater. What does Pater mean? Pater. Exempt. Pater means you're exempt. You're exempt from Kriyat Shema. Hold on, we're going to get, that's going to be the topic of our discussion. He's exempt from Kriyat Shema. He's exempt from Davening. He's exempt from Tefillin, which, by the way, is a combination of some Torah and some rabbinic mitzvahs. Kriyat Shema and Tefillin, of course, are Torah requirements. One second, we're going to see. When we call mitzvah, and then the mission, and the mission concludes, and from everything. You're exempt from everything. Why? Yeah. We're going to get to that too. We're going to get to that too. We're going to get to that too. What, why, why should he be exempt? Why should this person, this Jew, who, who, has, uh, who has a mitzvah to do? So Rashi tells us, not atzvah, not sadness. Rashi tells us on the side there, it's in Rashi's script, we'll read and translate. He is busy and occupied. 
He is busy and occupied with all the thoughts that go into preparing for the burial. In this case, is similar, Rashi says, de chasan, like a groom. The Mishnah said, I know, we're all going to get there, we're going to get there. The Rashi tells us very clearly, there's a parallel to this halacha. If you were to say that there's anything unique about an onain being exempt from doing mitzvahs, it's the same thing that we learn also in Mishnah Masechah's brachos, that a chasan, a groom, is also exempt from saying Kriyat Shema at night. He's got a lot on his mind, and so the Mishnah says he's exempt. He's exempt. Okay, we have a lot to say. But if we start with this, we'll start with this. According to this source, the Mishnah Masechah's brachos, in the way that Rashi explains it, how would we define the nature of the exemption? If you had to explain to somebody why they exempt... No? You can't think. He's grieving. He's busy. He's got to worry about getting everybody in from out of town. He's got to prepare his eulogy. He's got to worry about the plots and the payments and all the things that go into a worrying about a burial. And so he's exempt. And the parallel that Rashi uses is, the parallel that Rashi uses is, like a chassan. Now, based on that, if we were to take the next step, any, uh, you might be familiar with the Gemara when it discusses that case of a chassan. What if a chassan would be able to say, hey, look, I got plenty of time. I got, I got time. I got the headspace. Can I say Shema? So, so it, only because we, it, it, that's a whole discussion of whether or not it makes him into, do we feel like he's, uh, it, that's a guy Vedika thing to say, like, I'm, I can't, uh, I can, I can, because but in some general, Lamaisa today, do we tell a chassan to daven? The answer is yes, because we don't think that you have any uh, any concentration on a normal night, so that you can't have any concentration on a normal night. So what's the difference of saying it uh, tonight? Um, that's a general thing. But no, but if a chassan tried to, we would say fine. And if a person, according to this source, if an onain said everything is prepared. My eulogy is done, the arrangements are made, I got nothing to do, I can't put on tefillin this morning. So according to what we've seen, I, I don't know, it's a hard argument to say why not, because the reason why he's exempt is, according to Rashi, simply because he's busy. He's busy. His mind is occupied, he doesn't have a clear head, and so just like we have many concepts, like osek b'mitzvah, palter min mitzvah, if you're involved in one mitzvah, you're exempt from being in... There's, a person is exempt because he's a chola, because he's Torah, he's busy with other things. This is an example, simply an example of somebody who's busy with other things and is therefore exempt. Let's see a little bit more, and then we'll have to take this to the next level. The Gemara, when it discusses this, expounds and expands on this list. The list that the mission gave us is relatively short. Three things specifically, Kriyat Shema, Davening, and Tefillin. And then the mission has said, and all mitzvos. And now the Gemara is going to talk a little bit more at length in source number four. Uh, we'll read from the top and translate. A person who's dead, a person who has died, again, one of the seven relatives, is lying before him. He has to eat in another house, meaning you are not permitted to eat in front of the deceased body. You're not allowed to eat in front of the person. That's not an appropriate thing. It's not appropriate to eat. Separate concept. This is simply a concept of that's loyglarash. You're making them feel bad that you're able to do mitzvahs. This is it's inappropriate to eat in front of the body. So you go to another house. Says the Gemara, Ainlo The Shomer doesn't have another house to go to. So oichel chavero. So go to your friend. Meaning, I don't go. I don't. I don't have another house. I only have one home, and the person's father's in the home. So go to your friend's house to eat. Ainlo beis chavero. You don't have a friend's house. 
So make a, a wall of sorts, a separation in the room that you're watching the body, make a mechitza of 10 tvachim to be able to eat. I can't, I don't have anything in the room. What am I supposed to do? I'm starving. It's three o'clock in the morning. I, I'm in the room with the mace. So So at least turn your face to, to the wall away from the body and you eat. Okay, all of this to say clearly, how do we view eating inside the room where the body is? Clearly, that is not something that, you have this whole hierarchy just to like, grab a bite, go to another house, go to your friend's house, put up a wall. I can't put, okay, hide in a corner, but don't eat in front. Okay. When you eat, you're not allowed to lean, meaning again, in the days of old, they used to lean on couches. That was a normal way to eat. They used to do that specifically, of course, at the Leil Seder. That was a show of, uh, of freedom. You're not allowed to do that either. Not from the underline. You're not allowed to eat meat. This is a very commonly confused halacha. Very, very commonly confused halacha. People hear or remember something about meat and wine, and they think that it applies to shiva. And they're like, how did you bring me Chinese food for the shiva meal? I'm not allowed to eat. No, no, no. The prohibition about eating meat and drinking wine is an owning prohibition from the time of the death until the time of burial. Right, an owning can't make Abdullah. That's the, the wine and the, we'll see about how to do Shabbos. Uh, Kiddush is going to be something different. We'll get to that. But an onen is not permitted to eat meat. Ve'eno he does not drink wine. Ve'eno mevarech, he does not make brachos. He doesn't make a bracha before the food. He doesn't make a bracha after the food. Now we're getting to some of the relevant halachas that are going to apply in modern times, right? You can't eat in front of the mace. The, the person himself can't eat meat, can't drink wine, does not make brachas. Can't be part of a zimun. So even if there are three people away together, the three brothers sitting shiva for their father. So they all sat and they ate, which they're allowed to do. They didn't eat meat. They didn't drink wine. Now it's time to bench. Well, not about, I see, no, you don't do any of that. You're not on, you can't even be part, even if it's two brothers-in-law and one brother. So the brothers-in-law, they're not an onen. They're brothers-in-law or sons-in-law of the deceased. So they want to make a zimun because there are two of them and one. No, he's not even allowed to be part of the zimun. And that was the language of the Gemara. The Onen is indeed not, not eating meat and not drinking wine and not making brachas and not being part of even a zimun. None of that. He doesn't wear tefillin. He doesn't say shema. He doesn't daven. He's exempt from all of those things. How do we handle an Onen on Shabbos? This happens all the time. A person passes away on a Friday afternoon, 3 o'clock. No way to get the funeral done before Shabbos. So from 3 o'clock to candle lighting, you're an onin. You're busy making plans. No meat, no wine, no eating in front of the maze, all of these halachas. And now it's Shabbos. So, okay, now what happens? How do I handle Shabbos when I'm an onin? We have a Sunday funeral. What, what does the person do over Shabbos? Says the Gemara, Mesav ve'ochel. If the normal way to eat was to lean on couches, you're allowed because now it's Shabbos. Remember, what was Rashi's reason? Why is the Onain exempt? Because you're busy making plans. What happens the moment you light Shabbos candles? They're not making plans anymore. There's nothing to be done. So, as soon as you light your Shabbos candles, says the Gemara, you want to sit down and lean on your couch when you eat? You're allowed to lean on your couch. Let me just finish the Gemara. Man and woman? Yeah, that's what people. Yeah, no distinction. I I haven't seen any reason to make any distinction. Um, The Ochel Basar. And you're allowed to eat 
Meat. So, you know, it's, I, but I, it's Friday, 3 o'clock, a person, I made chicken for dinner. It's no problem. I made steak for dinner. No problem. You're allowed to eat meat, even though you're an Onen. But it's, it's Shabbos. The show Sayain, you're allowed to drink wine. So you're allowed to make Kiddush. Friday night is an Onen. Answer is 100%. You're allowed to make, right? You're allowed to make brachos. You're chiving all these mitzvos. Let's just finish reading something. Mevarech, you make. You have to make brachos and you bench. Umizamein, and you have to make. If you're part of a zeman, if all the brothers and brothers-in-law are sitting having their Shabbos meal together after a Friday afternoon death, waiting for the Sunday funeral, yes, they make a zeman. Umivarech, and they bench. Umizamnin all of they include the onen as part of the zeman. Vechayev bekriyachmo tefilu tefillin. Well, Tefillin wouldn't make much sense, obviously. <laughs> but they, they're chayiv, and I assume that's the discussion over there in the text. Chayiv, it's probably because there because that was the language of the, of the Mishnah. Do they say Shema at Marev? Do they go to Shul? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Do they Davin? 100%. Uvechol mitzvah samur Torah. Shabbos? There's no, nothing else to do. You'd be chayiv just like on any other day. Okay, and this happens all the time. You have an Onain. So from the moment of passing until Shabbos starts, you're an Onain. No brachos, no davening, no tefillin. If you hadn't worn tefillin yet, um, you can't eat in front of the mace. You don't eat meat. You don't drink wine. But once Shabbos starts, Shabbos is going to look like any other day. Meat, wine, drinking, and, benching. And lighting candles on Shabbos, which you make. You're not, it's not Shabbos. You're making brachos before Shabbos starts. Is that... Meaning for like a woman to light Shabbos candles? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't think so. Havdalah, which is what you were discussing, Havdalah always has a fascinating discussion amongst the poskin. Is Havdalah part of Shabbos? Or is Havdalah part of the weekday? Like, we know Kiddush is for sure a Shabbos mitzvah. Kiddush is, if I ask you the same question on the other side, is Kiddush a Shabbos halacha or a weekday halacha? Shabbos halacha, that's what declare Shabbos to be Shabbos. It's for sure, it's a Shabbos halacha. So anything that only applies or is only allowed on Shabbos, like for example, like for an Onen, is going to apply. But Havdalah is a debate. Is Havdalah the opposite side of Kiddush? Meaning Shabbos has two aspects. Bringing it in when it comes and escorting it out when it leaves. But it's considered part of Shabbos. Or do we say... When Shabbos ends, the first weekday mitzvah that you now have to do, because Shabbos has ended, is officially declare it over with Abdullah. But it's not a Shabbos halacha, it's a weekday halacha. You do on Tuesday, so you don't have to... You could do it beyond the time. This is all so part of the debate. Like the, what are the two yeah, major... You're being Shabbos by well, doing Abdullah. Well, Shabbos ends when the three stars come out. You still are like, so that's part of the debate. In other words, if I don't make Havdalah, I'm not supposed to do Malacha, but it's not Shabbos anymore. But you can wait till after your own end, after the funeral. To Correct. Do but I'm, I'm thinking just, just in general, what's, where, does, where does Havdalah fit in conceptually? What are, there are two major nafkaminas, there are two major differences on this debate. I go with weekday mitzvah. So the debate, is, so it centers around one is women. Women are not, if, if, if Havdalah is a weekday min, a mitzvah, a woman would not be obligated to say or to hear Havdalah because it's a weekday mitzvah, and as a weekday mitzvah, it's a mitzvah saseh shahazman gram. It would be a time-bound mitzvah. It only comes once a week. It's time-bound, and a woman wouldn't be obligated in it. But if Havdalah is really considered part of Shabbos, 
then a woman wouldn't be obligated because we have a special a connection that any, any woman who's obligated in the prohibitions of Shabbos is just as obligated on the mitzvah says. That's why they have to make Kiddush. Then a woman would be obligated on Havdalah. So that's the debate whether or not a woman should or should not make Havdalah is, or can she, or is better to, is all part of that. The other nafkameen is our sugya, is an onen. If, if Havdalah is considered part of Shabbos, then what would I tell an onen to do? Make Havdalah and drink the wine. If you're the only guy around, there's no problem because... It's connected to Shabbos, and as we just learned, whatever's connected to Shabbos is, is fine for an onim. But if Havdal is already part of the weekday activities, then we would say the is not allowed to drink the wine, and you'd have to have somebody else come and drink the wine. Okay, all of that is part of that uh, discussion. Um, so we, we, we generally would say, in other words, because it's a debate, if there's somebody else around to drink the wine, somebody else should drink the wine. If there's nobody else around, then you would. That's like sort of how we would... Uh, how we would play it. Okay, all that we have seen so far would net the result that the reason why an onen is exempt from all of these mitzvahs is because he's tarut, he's busy, he's taken up, he's mentally totally focused on the task at hand, and therefore just like a groom, a chasan, so too is the onen exempt. Which means, if the chasan were to come to us, if the onen were to come to us and say, on a Tuesday night, Everything is done. All the plans have been arranged. Everybody's where they need to be. I have nothing else to worry about. I'd like to, to daven this morning. I'd like to bench. I'd like to wear my tefillin. What would we, according to what we've seen so far, what would we tell the onen based on the idea that the reason why he's exempt is because he's tarud? We should tell him. Go ahead. Okay, what's the problem? The only reason why you were exempt. Exemption means you don't have to. But if you want to, and you're able to, one could have made a very strong argument so far that he should be allowed to. This issue... Private versus public. We can make all sorts of distinctions within that, but it, would be, it should be a discussion that we should have of what if a, a, a Onain is in a position where they would like to or are able to, there are four brothers, one of them is in charge, the other three have nothing to do, or the mother, the wife is in charge, and none of the boys have anything to do. There could be lots of circumstances where an Onain has a, a head and the time to be able to put on tefillin. Is it a also? Uh, no. So we, we could talk about those, but the question is, of can I, if, if he would come to a, his local Orthodox rabbi and say, can I? there would be room for discussion to say, okay, because the whole reason is an exemption, and if the exemption doesn't apply, so then you should be able to, to do something. This is taken up over by the Yerushalmi. The Talmud Yerushalmi, Masechus Brachos, addresses this in source number five directly. And the Bryce, the Gemara in, in the Yerushalmi says as follows, on the top of uh, page 23, Tani, The Onain wants to be stringent on himself. He wants to say, I mean, I'm not going to wear tefillin. Of course I'm going to put on tefillin this morning. Of course I'm going to daven. Of course I'm going to make brachos. Of course I'm going to be involved. Because how could I not? So if he wants to, ain shomin lo. We do not, we do not listen to him. We do not listen to him. Yushami says explicitly that if the onin comes and says, I want, we will tell him too bad. Why? The Yushalmi gives two reasons. Lama mipne kvodo shel meis. Because of the honor of the deceased. What do you think that means? Because of the honor of the deceased? What's that? Maybe a dead person would want him to have... I don't know, but that, one second, let's focus. You're, you're making a separate argument. What does mipne kvodo shel meis mean? You should find something to do. 
In other words, it's, it's not a cover to the mace that you have left the mace, so to speak, and gone about your business. I got a daven, I got to put on tefillin, I got, you know, if you tell a Jew that if you want a daven, you can, there's going to be a certain category of Jew who's going to say, I don't have to, great, I'm sleeping in. But there's going to be another category of Jew who's going to be like, if, if I want to, I can, then how could I, I got to go daven chakras. And meanwhile, the mace is going to be mutu lefanov, the mace is going to be there, and what's the family going to be busy with? Running around, davening, uh, tefillin, brachos, all the regular things. So the Yerushalmi says, even if the person says, I want, we don't allow you, because it's not a kavo to the mace that you should be busy with something else. Oh, Shaman gives a second reason. Mishum she'ein lo mi she'yisa masa o. There will be nobody left to deal with what needs to be done. Meaning, it's either just a kavo that everybody should stand around and be focused only on the mace. It's a kavo. Because if, if it's, you're going you're gonna to run around. You have four brothers. One says, I wanna, uh, I'm going to dive in, you go do it. And then the other one says, So, so that, really, that's the difference in two answers. Now, the second answer is, we, we don't let you in order that somebody takes care of the mace. Meaning, because if everybody ran to go dive in chakras and catch a mariv, then nobody would be left to take care of it. So in order to make sure that someone takes care of it, we say, no one's allowed. The first answer was, even if there is someone taking care of it, it's not a cover to the mace that everybody else goes, goes about their business while they're in this position. It's, I, I don't care that everything's been taken care of. You need to be here and just stand around doing nothing because that's the cover to the mace and what you're just experiencing right now as a family, that everybody stops what they're doing and focuses. The second answer is a practical answer of, I need, I'm going to impose on you that I don't let you go daven in order to make sure that there's somebody to actually take care of it. Those are the two answers of the Yerushalmi. So to, what do we got here? Another couple of minutes. So according to the Bavli, the first source that we saw, the, we don't see anything. All we saw was, you're exempt. According to the Bavli, but if a person says, everything is taken care of, let me do something, okay, that's fine. According to the Yerushalmi, we don't let you. And we bring two reasons why we don't let you. Either we don't let anybody because the cover to the mace is everybody should be focused on what's going on. Or we don't let you to make sure somebody. that there's somebody taking care of this. Because if we let you Davin Marv, everyone's going to go Davin Marv. And then we can end up in a situation where there's, where there's nobody left. Okay, now how do we pask it? What's the practical? What do we do with this now that we have uh, these different uh, instances? So this in, in itself was also a machlokas harishonim. The tour in source number six brings down an amazing episode from the house of Rashi. Rashi had a number of uh, daughters and a number of very prominent grandsons. Amongst them, um, Rabbeinu Tam was one of the grandsons of Rashi. And his uncle... Uh, Rabbi Yitzchak, um, one of the sons-in-law of, I have, if I have the history straight, of Rashi, describes, <clears throat> sorry, Rabbi Yitzchak was one of the other, uh, no, it was the next generation, sorry, Rabbi Yitzchak, Rabbi Yitzchak was a great-grandson of Rashi, and he describes, so Rabbi Yitzchak describes that when his mother died, who was a sister to Rabbi Tam, a granddaughter of Rashi and assistant. I'll keep it straight. Let's just let's drop the Rashi part so that this is in the house of Rashi. But to keep it straight, Rabbeinu Tam, one of the Baliyatoisus, had a sister. That sister died. 
So Rabbeinu Tam is now the brother of the deceased, and the son of the deceased describes his uncle's behavior. So the son of the deceased is Rabbi Yitzchak, describes that when my mother died, we let my uncle, Rabbeinu Tam, we told my uncle, your sister, my mother, just passed away. That was her, her brother. So we had sent a message to Rabbeinu Tam who lived in a different city. Your sister has just died. The Ochal Basar. And Rabbeinu Tam, the great Balatoisos, ate meat. And he drank wine. Before arriving at the burial, he ate meat and he drank wine. Now everybody knows that Rabbeinu Tam certainly was aware of the Gemara that we just learned that in Onain is not allowed to eat meat or drink wine. And he made a point of doing so, or a great Rabbeinu Tam, grandson of Rashi, that he ate meat and drank wine when his sister was awaiting a burial. So everybody said to him, what are you doing? So v'nasan tam l'dvarvin, he gave the reason, shekevan shehayolo ba'al, that my sister had a husband. And he had, not only did she have a husband, she had a quite a number of children. Shechayev bikvurasa. They're the ones obligated, intending to her needs. Mutelas al ba'ala Therefore, they're the ones who have this obligation of tending to the funeral. I don't have anything. I'm just going to show up and give a speech, maybe. I'm not in that category of the language the Gemara uses of one who's dead is lying before him. Meaning, Rabbeinu Tam is making the following diak. When the Gemara told us of the halacha of an onen, the Gemara did not introduce it by saying, anyone who needs to sit shiva is forbidden to eat meat or drink wine. The Gemara used the phrase, somebody who's dead is lying before him. So Rabbeinu Tam says, why did the Gemara say, anyone who's sitting shiva, who's about to sit Shiva, has these halachas. It didn't say that. It said someone who's dead is lying before him. That means the person who is responsible, responsible for making sure that the burial happens. I'm going to sit Shiva. I'm a brother, says Rabbeinu Tam. But I'm not responsible for any of these arrangements. If he was, no. Okay, 100%. Now, he's saying, it's not that it doesn't apply to the seven relatives. It's that the halachas of being an onain, being sitting Shiva applies to all the seven. But the halachas of being an onain only apply to the person whose dead is before him, meaning the person who's responsible so for the arrangements. One parent fell on, on that. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so that's the main time. So main time. If there's no husband and no son. Then for sure it would fall to the, the uncle. For, in other words, Rabbeinu Tam is passing like the Yerushalmi that the reason why the Yerushalmi says we don't let you is in order to make sure that someone takes care of it. But if, if someone is taking care of it, and I'm not involved, and I live in another city, why would these halachas apply to me? So if I'm going to eat... the only one, would he eat meat and drink? For sure not. He, no, because he's being owned. He's only saying there was a husband involved. And since there was a husband involved, and it's a husband's responsibility, I, as a brother, uh, it's not my problem. Meaning, you know, it's, it's someone else. And therefore, I don't have the halachas of an owner. That's Rebbeinu Tam. And the tour who's quoting this, we'll finish with this. The tour steps in and says, This is a weak, a weak argument. 
to say that the diuk of the Gemara that said Misha Mesa Mutalafana, therefore it's not in front of me that she's lying. I'm not, that is a weak argument. Dim Kane, says the, the Rush, the Torah quoting his father, the Rush. Achiames, always, whenever a, a person dies, all of the brothers would not be in Onen because the person who died had children. And in the pecking order, who's responsible for burying the, the, the deceased? The children have the responsibility. They're the Yorshim. They have the, you're going to tell me, says the Rush, that th- there's no halacha of an Onen for brothers ever, whenever there's a child? The two brothers of Aaron. We never find that the Gemara never says in any of the Gemaras that we learn about an Onen that, oh, by the way, it, you know, it only applies to this person. We don't find that. Elavadai in the underline, lo plug rabbanon. Okay. The rabbanon did not make any distinctions. If you're, if you're a person who's about to sit shiva, you're going to be in the status known as an onen. Kol Miss avlin, Miss oin. Anyone who's going to be an avel becomes an onen. And kulan, kruyan, everyone is called mutal alav lekavra. You have a responsibility to bury, even if you're not in the same city. Even if the person is not literally lying in front of you, everybody's called an onen. So this is my focus. We're going to see it's going to play itself out in halacha. Because we're going to see there's certain leniencies that we'll have. But it's just as we conclude and summarize, we have the halachas of an onen. We have the Torah halachas of not eating maizr sheni, not eating a karban, not eating bikurim. How long does that apply in a Torah level? Only the first day. But the Rabbanan extended it until actual burial. They also extended it to many other halachas besides for eating karbanos and maizr sheni and bikurim. You're not allowed to wear tefillin, Kriyat Serious Torah halachas. Kriyat you can't do. Tefillin, davening, benching, zimun, meat, wine, all of those things become included. Not only on the first day, Daraisa, even up to the burial, all of those days are all forbidden on a Durabanon level. And then we have a major machlokas about what if a person says, I want to. So the Yishalmi says, we don't let you, either because it's not a kavod to the deceased that you should be busy with other things, or because we're actually afraid no one's going to take care. And then that, that played itself down all the way to the Rishon, Rabbeinu Tam, grandson of Rashi, paskin that if it's not relevant to me because somebody else is responsible, I'm, I'm not an onen. And he went ahead and he ate meat and he drank wine, to which the Rush and the tour argue vehemently, and they say, we don't buy that argument at all. Everyone who's going to sit shiva is indeed going to be an onen, whether they're actively involved or not actively involved. And we will continue, Mir Tzashem. You have a different case.